I'm Jessica Denson, host of Lights On with Jessica Denson here on the Midas Touch Network. Section three of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution disqualifies Trump from ever holding office again. And now the case for why it must be enforced is finally gaining steam. I have so many questions about this process and I know you do too. So we're gonna get a powerful education today. I'm so happy to be joined by someone at the heart of these enforcement efforts, Executive Vice President and Chief Counsel for Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, Donald Sherman. Donald, welcome to Lights On. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Um, why don't we just start with a definition of Section 3. Uh, it reads, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two thirds of each house, remove such a disability. So explain to us how and why this applies to former President Donald Trump. Well, I think by its own, uh, by its own terms, right? Um, you know, to be honest with you, this is not an especially, um, th there's, there's actually not a lot of disagreement on this. In the aftermath of January 6th, uh, Donald Trump's own impeachment lawyers referred to the events as an insurrection. There were bipartisan vote in the House and the Senate, uh, citing uh, the former president as the insider of the insurrection, of the attack on the Capitol. And obviously there was a bipartisan investigation by the January 6th committee um, that reached a similar conclusion, citing him as the central cause of the January 6th insurrection and specifically including a recommendation that section three of the 14th amendment be used to ensure that insurrectionists who violated their oaths uh, based on their roles engaging in uh, in the January 6th insurrection uh, are barred from office. This was a tool created in the aftermath of the Civil War by Congress and ratified by the states uh, enshrined as an amendment in our constitution to ensure that insurrectionists were never given again the power to serve in the government that they sought to overthrow. Uh, this provision of the constitution was built for this moment. The moment that we find ourselves in. So really the, the most important question is whether we are also built for this moment and uh, are prepared to enforce Section 3 of the Constitution against former President Trump and other insurrectionists. I'm so glad that you framed it as a test of our willingness. Um, I know Crew has been, has been working on this for a while. You issued a report in July and just in the past couple of weeks, two preeminent constitutional and conservative law professors, William Vaught and Michael Paulson, issued a law review article that cited your work. And it, it really um, calls on any previous lack of enforcement as a mistake uh, based on misconceptions. And it, this their article serves to correct that. Um, how do you feel now that, as you said, it's very clear um, from the text of the Constitution, and it's really just a question of our willingness, what does it signal to you now that there are, um, in particular, members of the Federalist Society, conservative 
law community individuals who have now come to the same conclusion? Well, it's certainly validating, but it's not especially surprising. I think what it confirms is that um, enforcing the Constitution against Donald Trump and other insurrectionists is not partisan. Um, it is patriotic. It is um, it is exactly what the framers or the drafters of Section 3 uh, envisioned uh, for a moment that they probably couldn't envision, right? That a sitting president would, after losing a free and fair election, incite an insurrection to overturn the results of that election, including uh, fomenting a mob that stormed the United States Capitol, which hadn't happened since uh, the War of 1812, and threatening to murder members of Congress and hang the sitting vice president of his own party. Uh, what happened on January 6th is unconscionable. Um, but fortunately for us, um, there was this provision of the Constitution making clear that insurrectionists who violate their oath are ineligible to serve as state or federal officers. And there was precedent in and around the aftermath of the Civil War that demonstrated how this uh, provision should work. Uh, my team and I felt fortunate that there was precedent during that time period. And our only hope is that 50, 100 years from now, God forbid we are in a situation like this again, that there is precedent from this era demonstrating that uh, insurrectionists can't serve in uh, in the government that they tried to overthrow. Now, we uh, brought and won a case in New Mexico that provided some precedent, but really this is up to us, all of us, not just uh, crew, not just other folks uh, who are looking at this, but this is up to every American who believes in the Constitution to uh, to ensure that there is uh, there is a historical record and legal precedent to ensure that this kind of thing never happens again. You mentioned that case in New Mexico, and I understand, as I understand it's the first case in 150 years where Section 3 has been applied to prohibit someone from holding office. I think you're speaking about the case of Coy Griffin, um, and, and you represented the people of the state of New Mexico in that case, did you not? That's correct. We represented three plaintiffs, uh, three voters in New Mexico, who and brought a case on their behalf to remove uh, County Commissioner and Cowboys for Trump founder Coy Griffin from office uh, under Section 3. And the judge in that case found that uh, Mr. Griffin had engaged in insurrection, despite the fact that he did not enter the Capitol, despite the fact that he himself was not violent that day, but because he helped mobilize violence, including uh, in a number of events and speeches uh, between uh, in his travels between New Mexico and D.C., where he recruited people, recruited men specifically to come to D.C. for battle and then helped coordinate the crowd, chanting heave ho as they crushed uh, law enforcement officers, including one of our witnesses, Officer Danny Hodges of the D.C. Metro Police Department, in the tunnel uh, as they tried to storm the Capitol. I really definitely want to use that as a as a launch pad for how we can enforce this as it pertains to Donald Trump. I think this is where so many of the questions lie. Um, we've had some, you know, excellent support for that Baden Paulson article from from individuals like Judge Michael Luddig, of course, the co conservative judge that testified at the January sixth hearings and has been such a powerful voice. Um, Lawrence Tribe, um, but I think the major question out there remains how do we enforce this? 
And I know um, from a little bit of the research I did, I know there was um, a Just Security article back in January of this year that cited some different um, mechanisms in states. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, there's a type of lawsuit called Quo Waranto that uh, employs Section 3, depending on the state statutes and the mechanisms in state law to enforce this. Um, so when it comes down to Donald Trump running for president once again, having engaged in insurrection and having given aid and comfort there too, um, how, how do we enforce Section 3? So there's a multiplicity of ways and uh, you're right that in part it depends on state law, but I think the short answer is uh, it should be pursued in any and every way possible, um, but in the most strategically advantageous ways possible, um, right? I think you know we certainly know the reality that you know in certain states, um, whether regardless of what the law says, um, you know a case like this isn't uh, going to be well received, um, but. You know, in New Mexico with uh, Mr. Griffin, there was a quo warranto statute, which uh, afforded our clients clients the right to challenge the qualification or uh, to bring litigation to remove any office holder in the state who was disqualified for office. Uh, and Section 3 being the disqualification, uh, they brought that litigation to enforce it against Mr. Griffin. With respect to Mr. Trump, uh, there are various mechanisms across the states. In some states, in many states, uh, this falls squarely within the purview of election officials, including secretaries of state, to enforce. In some states, uh, the attorney general has a role. In some states, you simply have to sue to challenge uh, Mr. Trump's uh, ability to get on the ballot. So there are any number of mechanisms. Uh, they do depend on state law. But to echo what Professors Bode and Paulson said, it's really the responsibility of all of us, but especially officials who in many states, um, you know, also swear an oath to uphold the Constitution and to defend the Constitution. And what could be more important to defending the Constitution than ensuring that insurrectionists who violate their oaths don't hold, uh, don't hold the highest office in the land. The other thing that I would point out is that, you know, the adjudication of qualifications for office is something that happens every election, every year in every state in the country, right? We know this in part because of Trump's uh, continued push of the birtherism lie against former President Obama and, uh, and Senator Ted Cruz when he was running for president. States, uh, there are several state courts that addressed this issue and adjudicated it. Um, and much in the same way that they can adjudicate qualifications like whether someone meets the age requirement to serve as president or to serve in any other office. They can uh, adjudicate this uh, depending on what the state law says. Absolutely. And I, I like to remind our viewers, just as we're discussing why Donald Trump is obviously in, in I think, anybody who has seen the behavior of the past three years and even prior when Donald Trump was president, why he is in fact disqualified. I'll remind our viewers that just in December of last year, he put out a post on his social network that said, a massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Um, it, it kind of points out to me to um, rebut some of the arguments out, uh, out there, the um, 
perhaps um, I would think unfounded arguments that enforcing Section 3 is in fact itself undemocratic, that it's quite the opposite. It is the democratic mechanism to um, prohibit someone who has no regard and has disregarded their oath from ever um, getting to hold that, that place of power again. Um, but just to, to play devil's advocate here, some of the concerns out there um, are that, yes, the age requirement of the Constitution is so straightforward, got to be 35 years old, got to be a natural born citizen. Um, the, the devil's advocate argu argument out there is how do you define insurrection? Can a secretary of state just unilaterally make this decision that somebody has engaged in insurrection? And is it that simple and straightforward to define in the case of Donald Trump? Well, again, um, it depends on state law, but it's important to recognize that there are significant uh, one, there's legal precedent explaining what uh, the framers of Section 3 envisioned um, when they used the term insurrection. Um, and that has been well documented by experts like Mark Graber, who testified in our case against, uh, against Mr. Griffin. But also, Donald Trump's lawyers referred to January 6th as an insurrection. There have already been bipartisan votes in the House and the Senate calling January 6th an insurrection. Uh, the January 6th committee reached this conclusion and recommended pursuing um, pursuing enforcement of Section 3 against insurrectionists. Uh, and several federal judges, including those uh, appointed by Republicans and Democrats, have reached this conclusion. Uh, and so the, the idea that we don't know that January 6th was an insurrection or that there isn't sufficient evidence or legal precedent or legal authority for a judge to make that conclusion or a secretary of state to make that conclusion is belied by the fact that there are numerous public artifacts, including from the president's own impeachment lawyers that have referred to January 6th as an insurrection. Um, it's not, uh, you know, certainly there, there might be some questions about uh, whether other types of conduct arise to the level of meeting the definition of insurrection, January 6th isn't one of them. I would agree. I think if we could all just constantly transport ourselves to our visceral reaction on the day, January 6th, there's no question about what was going on. There's no question about who had inspired it and was egging it on and refused to send uh, to, to stop his mob from attacking the Capitol on that day until so much damage had already been done. Um, Donald, let's continue to kind of get in the weeds here because I know th there's just so many questions um, about how this process plays out. Uh, you mentioned that in the state of New Mexico, for example, citizens have standing, and this depends on state law. Um, in other states, is there, I know there are citizens out there that are wondering, do we have standing? Um, is there something we can do to enforce Section 3? What would you recommend or suggest to people out there who uh, are wondering if they can at all get engaged in this process? So the short answer is yes, but I think how uh, depends on state law and depends on really making some educated choices. I mean, you know, just just so that everybody understands, we have been following this issue since January 6th, and we have been planning to bring litigation for 18 months. This is not a decision 
that should be made lightly. And it's not a decision that should be made without giving significant thought to the strategic advantages and disadvantages of bringing this type of litigation uh, in certain places, right? You know, Crew is a very small organization, so certainly we don't have the scope and scale to bring this uh, litigation in 50 states. But even if we did, it would be irresponsible to do so, knowing what we know about the um, about. Uh, the makeup of state officials and state courts across the country, um, there have to be really smart choices made about when and where to file suit. Um, and, you know, again, we've been thinking about that for quite some time. And that decision is informed by really in-depth research about um, about the law in each state and about uh, the makeup of the courts in each state. Um, but also, I think there are lots of ways that um, even if your state doesn't have good law, that would, um, you know, that would uh, warrant bringing a suit uh, like this in your state. There are ways to support litigation in uh, in other states. Certainly, sharing this information with your friends. Um, certainly, supporting organizations that are bringing litigation, um, and you know, engaging with your secretaries of state to um, to make sure that they are aware of Section 3 and their requirement to enforce it um, and, you know, pushing them and pressuring them to uh, to hold Trump and other insurrectionists accountable is a good way to do that. I want to pick up on two threads there. Um, I want to go back to Crew's role and what Crew intends to do, but let's start with the secretaries of state. So again, playing devil's advocate, presuming that um, there, we're, we're considering the option right now. It seems, Donald, and correct me if I'm wrong, that we kind of have two basic enforcement mechanisms, secretaries of state as election officials, and then lawsuits. Is that more or less generally true? That's generally true, yes. Okay. So with the secretary of state option, um, isn't, isn't this likely going to play out where states that would already, where Trump would already lose, blue states, um, and maybe a few swing states where Democrats are in power <clears throat> as secretary of state are going to be the only ones who are even willing to take this action. And it's not necessarily going to have the effect that we need it to have. Maybe my premise is wrong there. So totally correct me if I, if I, if I'm getting that wrong. So I'll put it this way. Um, Donald Trump and his corruption and his attempt to overthrow the election have forced a lot of people into positions that they could have never anticipated, right? Including, uh, you know, election officials in states like uh, Arizona, Republican election officials in states like Arizona and across the country who said no and stood up to Donald Trump in his effort to overturn the election. Uh, in Georgia, right, we saw this. Um, and so, you know, we've seen uh, government officials, elected officials across the political spectrum stand up to Donald Trump. And in fact, we saw uh, the vice president of the United States, Donald Trump's vice president of the United States, say, my oath to the Constitution comes before any loyalty that I may have to you, even as the president who selected me to be their running mate. So, you know, one, I don't accept the premise that, um, you know, that no uh, you know, that, you know, red state officials, uh, you know, won't follow the Constitution 
uh, or and won't follow Section 3 of the Constitution because we know that they already have stood up for the Constitution. But also, I do think that it's important um, that someone stand up for the Constitution, and I suspect that this will get litigated, right? This, like, whether a Secretary of State um, unilaterally decides to enforce Section 3 against Donald Trump or they decide to put Donald Trump on the ballot, Secretaries of State are going to get sued. Um, in states across this country, and ultimately that litigation is likely to end up in front of the Supreme Court. So I think, you know, regardless of where a suit is brought, this is all going to end up being before the high court at some point before November of 2024. I'm, I'm glad you challenged me on that notion that red state secretaries of state shouldn't do their job. And um, maybe we could we can just pull an excerpt from that Bowden-Paulson article, um, the conservative law professors. It says, no official should shrink from these duties. It would be wrong, indeed, arguably itself a breach of one's constitutional oath of office to abandon one's responsibility of faithful interpretation, application, and enforcement of Section 3. The Constitution is not optional, and Section 3 is not an optional part of the Constitution. That's exactly right. And again, I would reiterate, Section 3 is up to the task. Section 3 was designed specifically for the moment that we find ourselves in. The question that we and all of these officials who have taken an oath to defend the Constitution in red states and blue states and purple states and whatever other characterization you want to have for these states is, are they willing to stand up for the Constitution? That's what's at stake here. Is our Constitution going to endure or are we going to give Donald Trump a pass? It's absolutely ludicrous, the position that we find ourselves in, Donald. I got to be honest with you. I mean, I think about how the next year plays out. And it's just, it's absolutely insane that we endured what we did from this man, his complete disregard of his oath, and that he is, um, he's running for president again. And, um, and looks like he is going to be the Republican nominee. It, it's so heartening to know that this living document, this document that was drafted so many years ago, is still such a, you know, there's been so much kind of over the Trump years, there was so much, I wanna say criticism of our constitution saying it's just not strong enough, our founders didn't envision this, but yeah, they kind of did. They did and, and throughout the amendments process and after the civil war, we've dealt with this. History has taught us lessons and we have these tools and they are not optional, like that article says, and we must enforce them. Thank God we have them. I agree. You know, again, in the aftermath of January 6th, I feel fortunate that we could look to this document and find an answer, a clear and ambiguous answer, mind you, right? And that there was precedent that we could look to and if we don't enforce Section 3 in this moment, it's hard to imagine a situation where we would in the future. This is the moment that Section 3 was designed uh, to help us uh, uh, respond to. There was precedent after the Civil War uh, demonstrating that these Confederates, uh, that people who engaged in insurrection against the Constitution of the United States were disqualified from office. And the only question left for us, is there going to be a precedent, is there going to be a historical record that we leave behind for generations yet unborn to ensure that this kind of insurrection that Donald Trump fomented to overturn a free and fair election 
does not happen again. Absolutely. Donald, can you expound on the work that crew is preparing to do or the action crew is preparing to take as far as, as bringing lawsuits? We, you know, as I said, we have been and we are preparing to bring litigation as soon as um, it is legally allowable and strategically viable to do so. Um, And, you know, we plan to pursue litigation to bar Trump from uh, from the ballot uh, in a number of states based on his engagement in insurrection against the Constitution and the United States. Would it be fair to say that those lawsuits that Crew intends to bring are both proactive as far as um, using those state laws and um, lawsuits that would challenge Secretary of State's choice to, in fact, put Trump on the ballot? Yes. Okay. Now, um, I want to ask a really important question, and you discussed how how um, long you've been working on this issue and um, how much time and consideration and really weighing of the risks and wanting to have the strongest possible um, standpoint to move forward from, how much time you've taken in that process. Again, playing devil's advocate, isn't it late? I mean, Donald Trump uh, announced his presidency, we're looking at almost a year ago now, November of 2022. Um, Is there time to bring legal challenges now and have them succeed, make it to the Supreme Court and and have this resolved before 2024? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the reality is is that these kinds of cases get brought um, during primary season, during uh, election season, all the time. Again, that's one of the core functions of secretaries of state. That's how the, the sort of body of election law jurisprudence works. Right. These cases tend to move quickly and state law provides mechanisms for them to move quickly, specifically so that they can be brought in a timely manner and adjudicated before ballots need to be printed. So we are prepared to do that. But, you know, here's the other thing that I would say. Um, I certainly appreciate this opportunity to uh, to talk about Section three, talk about Cruz work. We're not doing this to get our names in the paper or to get on podcasts like these. We are bringing this litigation to win and we are bringing this litigation to enforce the constitution. And as I said, ensure that an insurrection of the kind that Donald Trump incited on January 6th never happens again. So this is not a vanity exercise. And so one of the reasons why we've taken so much time is to make sure that we are prepared to bring the best case possible uh, with the uh, highest chance of success possible. I can certainly appreciate that as someone who's been engaged in litigation for uh, what are we going on six years myself. I can absolutely appreciate that that consideration and seriousness. And I and I know that's the intention of crew. I think anybody who's followed them is uh, followed your organization wouldn't wouldn't doubt your seriousness. And um, I think we can all appreciate the seriousness of this moment. Uh, speaking of the work of crew, Donald. Um, I wanted to just, before we wrap this up, get your perspective on another issue that you worked so much on during the Trump administration, um, the emoluments clause. I mean, (laughs) the constitution, like we say, it does have tools. It has the emoluments clause. I mean, we saw so many examples of self-enrichment during the Trump years. I know that uh, crew has reminded us recently that Donald Trump, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner combined 
um, pulled in up to $2.2 billion on the side from their business while in office. And that doesn't even include the $2 billion that the Saudis gave to Jared Kushner when he left the presidency. Um, this is just seems like this gaping lack of um, this space where we had this gaping lack of, an, of enforcement and accountability for this self-enrichment. Is there, is there any accountability that we can hope for in this area? Well, certainly our uh, emoluments clause litigation moved very quickly um, as far as litigation goes. Um, but, you know, uh, but we simply ran out of time. Right. Uh, you know, Donald Trump lost the election and left the White House. And so we lost standing uh, in our emoluments litigation against him. Um, you know, I, I think one difference uh, between that litigation and uh, and, you know, ballot challenge litigation is that, you know, the latter has to be decided um, before ballots are, are printed. Um, and so uh, we don't expect to run into that problem. Uh, when we bring uh, litigation against Trump. Um, in terms of, you know, accountability, there still needs to be accountability for the grift um, that Donald Trump and his family, who he installed in government, despite uh, decades of precedent barring that, um, you know, and enriching themselves. Uh, there needs to be a continued investigation of how uh, Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, how exactly they made $640 million um, while they were uh, government employees. Donald Trump often likes to tout that he didn't take a salary uh, for serving as president. I don't know what $2.2 billion um, is, but it's certainly quite a bit more than um, what he and his daughter and son-in-law would have uh, would have earned legitimately um, you know, for being government employees. Um, and I think it's just a testament to um, the corruption and the uh, disregard for the Constitution that the former president uh, and his family did show and continue to show. It's disregard for the Constitution across the board, isn't it? Indeed. So give us a final word on, on Section 3 of of the 14th Amendment and and why um, why this is so important in this moment. Absolutely. So, you know, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is pretty clear. Donald Trump took an oath to defend the Constitution. And as we saw before our eyes and this, the whole world saw, Donald Trump incited an insurrection against the United States and, the, uh, and our Constitution uh, on January 6th. If we don't hold him accountable for his role in the attack on our democracy, we run the risk of not having one. I think it's important for people to remember just how close we were to losing uh, members of Congress, to potentially losing our vice president on January 6th. And it's, you know, by the grace of God and the, you know, in the service of uh, you know, the law enforcement and other folks who came and defended the Capitol, that Donald Trump's insurrection failed um, and we didn't lose our democracy on that day. But the Constitution makes clear, you don't get a second chance to do that. Um, and, you know, just in the same way that people can't vote for uh, Barack Obama or George W. Bush again, 
uh, because they are barred by the 22nd Amendment, just in the same way that uh, you couldn't vote for Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's not a natural born citizen, or you couldn't vote for your favorite, you know, uh, Zennial uh, elected official uh, for president because they're not old enough. Donald Trump is also disqualified from serving as president um, because he incited an insurrection against it after taking an oath to defend the Constitution. This is not a partisan issue, and we've seen um, legal experts across the ideological spectrum, uh, Republicans and Democrats, lefties and righties, um, make the same case. And so the question that we have in front of us is, you know, democracy is work. Democracy is hard. But the question in front of us is whether we're going to be one or not. And if it's okay for Donald Trump to incite an insurrection against uh, the government, um, then we should be prepared for future insurrections to happen, maybe from someone more competent uh, than Donald Trump, maybe from someone more sinister than Donald Trump. This is not about the former president so much as this is about whether we are going to have a democracy in 50 years, 100 years, 250 years from now. And this is the moment, again, that Section 3 was designed uh, to meet. Um, And the only question for each and every one of us is, are we ready to meet the moment as well? Thank you so much, Donald. I'm so grateful you framed it in that context. I think that applies to accountability and enforcement of the Constitution, they are absolutely our strongest deterrence from what you, like you said, possibly somebody who is smarter or more disciplined to do what Trump did and much worse in the future. It's up to us right now in this moment. Thank you so much for joining us today on Lights On. Thank you. Really appreciate you uh, shining a light on, on this issue. My pleasure. My pleasure. I would encourage everybody to definitely go to Cruz's website, citizensforethics.org, citizensforethics.org. They have that July report that they published. Um, and, you know, in, in addition to that, check out the law review article called The Sweep and Force of Section 3 by William Bowd and Michael Paulson. And then another follow-up article by Judge My- Michael Luttig and Lawrence Tribe in, from the Atlantic on August 19th, Trump is ineligible to appear on the ballot. I would say these three pieces are really a trifecta of ammunition for why we can and absolutely must enforce Section 3 of the Constitution. I'm Jessica Denson from Lights On here on the Midas Touch Network. Thank you so much for joining us today and please tune in with us every Friday night on Lights On. Thanks so much. Hey Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram at Midas Touch to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.